Mark chapter 3, verse number 20 is where we will pick up today in our series of following Jesus. We have entitled this section, Who is This Jesus? It's a question that we see answered in our text by a number of people, and it is a question that, frankly, you and I are called today as we come to this section. It is a question that you and I are called to answer in our own hearts this morning. In the last few sections, you remember that Jesus has been really in hand-to-hand combat with the Pharisees, with the religious establishment of his day, who have now made it very clear that they want rid of Jesus. They have linked up with other people in order to try to get rid of him. They want him out of their way. Why? Because he's messing up their man-made organized religion that has given them great power, great position. Uh, through a works-based system. And although the crowds have been great and they're coming to see Jesus, as we have said, it's, it's primarily been to see and to experience the miracles of Jesus, the mighty works of Jesus. Very few believe him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. We have seen that God the Father at his baptism uh, announced that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. You remember that the Holy Spirit came down to affirm that in the form of a dove. And we've also seen last week that the unclean spirits have acknowledged him as Jesus, the Son of God. We know from John's gospel that John the Baptist told the people, don't look at me anymore because here is the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. But by and large, the people have not recognized him especially the religious establishment of the day as the Son of God. And it's still true today if you look at the whole world around us. So if you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll read beginning in verse number 20 down through verse 35. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Talking about the disciples and Jesus. And when his friends, and the word there really is family, When they heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, he hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto Jesus, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother, my family. Father, again, we come to your word. 
We surrender and submit ourselves underneath its authority this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will work in hearts today. We pray if there's someone here today that they have never put their faith in you as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, we pray that today would be that day. We pray for us as Christians, Lord, that we would have a fresh commitment to you today. And I pray, God, that you will work in all of our hearts by your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's high and holy name. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis, who many of you have heard and read about, he was concerned that there were too many people who were saying about Jesus that he was a good teacher, that he was simply a good moral leader, that he was simply a religious revolutionary. And C.S. Lewis was convinced that that opinion of Jesus is not a possible consideration that he was a good man. He could not just be a good teacher. Because as soon as Jesus claimed to be God, that disqualified him from just being a good teacher. So he wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, as soon as Jesus declared that he was God, the Son, and that he had the same nature as God, it was no longer possible to simply designate him as a good teacher. One of three things is true. He is either a lunatic on the level of somebody who thinks he's a poached egg, or he is a liar at such a calculated and clever and extreme level as to probably be unequaled as a purveyor of deception, or he is Lord. But forget the patronizing nonsense that he's simply a good teacher. That is not an option. I believe that it's probably from this text or a uh, a correlating text that C.S. Lewis gets that quote. The purpose, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, remember, why are they written? All four of them are written for the purpose of declaring and proving the deity of Jesus Christ. That is, that Jesus is the Son of God. You remember Mark's announcement of this in the very first verse, Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's look in our text this morning, and I want you to see three groups of people that Lewis identified in his statement. First of all, some acknowledge Jesus as a lunatic, as a madman. Look again at verse number 21 and mark the little phrase there that his friends and his family said, he is beside himself. This was the conclusion of his friends and his family. Because of the loud narrative of the religious and the Jewish leaders, many who had followed Jesus' ministry, even his own family and friends, began to think that Jesus is starting to lose it and that perhaps they need to come along and provide for Jesus some family intervention. That that they need to come alongside of him, that, that he is perhaps, can you imagine growing up in the home of Jesus and being a sibling? The perfect child, literally the perfect child. No doubt because of that, there was resentment among the other children and 
And no doubt because of that, he always seemed a bit peculiar in his perfection. And so it certainly seems that the result of him being somewhat peculiar and the propaganda from the religious elite was that the friends and family of Jesus began to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah and that even though he was a good man and even though he had supernatural power, that perhaps he needed a mental evaluation. I mean, rather than doing all these things that normal 30-something-year-old men do, Jesus had no house of his own. He slept in boats. He slept in borrowed places. He had no desire to to start a, a family of his own. He had made all these very divisive claims, and he was starting a movement like no one had ever seen before. And so now here are his very family and his very friends who say he is beside himself. He's crazy. He's a madman. But Jesus would continue to do the will of the Father regardless of what the neighbors said, regardless of what society declared, regardless of what even his own family said about him. So look again at verse number 21. His family and his friends go to lay hold on him, to intervene before he really makes a mess. Like many of you, Jesus' family misunderstood him. How many of you have family who has misunderstood your faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, there are many. We think of uh, D.L. Moody, and today we would pick up a biography of D.L. Moody and we would read it and we would say, wow, what a man. But in Moody's day, the media had dubbed him with the name Crazy Moody. In fact, he would go into a town to preach and he would pick up the newspaper and it would say, Crazy Moody in town. I would say, according to the text this morning, he was in pretty good company, wouldn't you? We need to be reminded of this this morning. That if we are going to make a difference in eternity, there are those who are going to misunderstand us. It was Winston Churchill, who, by the way, in the political realm, many people misunderstood Winston Churchill. He had a lot of enemies. You either loved him or you hated him. And one day, one of his enemies, a woman, came to him and, he, and she said to him, she was very upset, and she said, Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your tea. And without missing a beat, he said, ma'am, if you were my wife, I would gladly drink it. Part of being a Christian is being misunderstood, isn't it? Jesus' own family and his own friends misunderstood him. And so who is this Jesus? Some said that he was a lunatic, that he was a madman. Secondly, notice that some acknowledged him as a liar. Not a madman, but a bad man. Verse 22, here come the the Jewish religious leaders. They have come over a hundred miles to give their opinion and their declaration about Jesus Christ. All these miracles have been done. The demons have been cast out. No one could deny that. And there has to be some explanation from the Jewish leaders. So here here is their decree in verse 22. He has Beelzebub. In other words, Jesus' power to heal and to cast out demons does not come from God. It comes from who? Satan. 
It comes from Satan. In essence, they're saying Jesus Christ is a liar. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the Son of God. I have been sent by God. And so when, when they say that he is from Satan, that he is from Beelzebub, they are in essence saying that he is a liar. Now, because of the supernatural miracles and the, the things, the works that Jesus had been doing, there could only be two options. And that was that his power was a result of him being God as he claimed to be, or they were the result of Satan. And I love Jesus' response to them in verse 23. He calls them into himself. Come here, guys. Many of the people are gathered around watching and they're listening, and then the text draws our attention to them, the religious leaders, and to him, Jesus Christ. And look, the contrast could not be any greater between them and him. Jesus stood there and dressed in common clothing while they stood there in their robes, their costly robes. Jesus was young, just a 30-something-year-old man while, many, a man, while many of them were old and the long beards. Like Terry. Every time I say that, I look down here and it's going to have him come up and be an example for us. Jesus was not your typical rabbi. He did not go to the same schools, have the same education as them. He loved them and they hated him. And here they are face to face. And Jesus calmly asks this question. By the way, good teachers ask questions. And so Jesus asked this very simple question. How can Satan cast out Satan? If the kingdom of Satan is at odds against itself, it cannot stand. Listen, nobody wins in civil war, right? It's bad on the kingdom. It's bad on the nation. That is his point is how can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus says, look, wait, wake up. Common sense. If I am empowered by Satan, then why would I be casting out a demon from Satan? Why would I not allow him to do his work, to carry it on? And then he further illustrates it in verse number 27 by saying, basically, look, if a burglar goes into a house and he wants to steal all the goods and there's a strong man in the house or there's a man with a gun in the house, what must he do before he can take all the goods? He must bind the strong man. He's referencing here that Satan is the strong man, and that he, because he is indeed from God, he is able to cast out demons, not by the power of Satan, that wouldn't make any sense, but by the power of God. Yet these religious leaders refused him still. And then look what Jesus says in verses 28 and 29, and I wonder how many of you have ever heard a sermon on the unpardonable sin? Very few. It's one of those that people kind of like to take a jump over, land somewhere else. But Jesus talks about here the unpardonable sin, the sin that God will not forgive. Look what he says in 28. Verily, verily, I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, like a lot of teachings, there have been many times that this little phrase here, this little verse has been lifted out of its context that we just read in these 15, 16 verses. 
And people take that one little phrase, if you blaspheme against the the Holy Spirit, you can't be saved. And then they go on to talk about the many ways that you could blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But it's important for us to look at it within the context of what it is written. This is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Look, by saying that Jesus is demonic, by saying that Jesus's power is from Satan. And how does he blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying that? Because when Jesus came into the world, and we talked about this as we began this study, the New Testament says that he set aside the prerogatives of his own power. He said, I only do what my father tells me to do. And how did he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus laid aside his glory and he became a man, he restricted the independent use of his divine attributes and he left himself to the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever he did, whatever Jesus did, was the Father's will done through the Holy Spirit's power. When Jesus laid aside his glory and became a man, he he laid aside some of those powers underneath the will of God. So if you say that Satan is satanic, you have just blasphemed the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit doing his work through Jesus. Does that make sense? It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is announcing that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism. The Holy Spirit led him from the baptism into the wilderness to be tempted. He was with him through the temptation. The Holy Spirit then appointed him to preach. So after all that they had seen Jesus do, and after all that they had heard Jesus say, their final conclusion was this. He is demonic. He is not the Son of God. He is not from God. He is not God. And Jesus says this, if that is your conclusion, after seeing the evidence that you have seen, then they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They had rejected the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And if that is your conclusion, then that is a sin that cannot be forgiven. Because unless you believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, you cannot have salvation, you cannot have eternal life, you cannot have forgiveness that only comes through Jesus Christ. Let me give you what I believe is a simple and clear definition of the unpardonable sin and we'll move on. It is recognizing the truth of who Jesus Christ is and refusing to receive the truth in the person of Jesus Christ. If that is your final conclusion, and according to the word of God, you cannot receive forgiveness. Who is this Jesus? His family and friends say that he is a lunatic. The religious elite say that he is a liar. And thirdly and lastly, some acknowledged him as Lord. Not a madman, not a bad man, but the God-man. The God-man. Who he claimed to be. Mark presents for us this third and final option. He is Lord. And in these last verses, we see Jesus continue to do what he came to do. And that is to invite people to believe and to put their faith in him alone for eternal salvation. And in so doing, he reminds them that their security in eternity and their entrance into his eternal family. Listen, church, it had nothing to do with whether they were his physical or earthly family. 
nothing to do with it. His family comes to him at the end. I can just imagine someone at this big meeting, this big political rally, and the man gets, stands forward to speak, and they come. somebody comes to him and says, your family is here. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, your family is here. Your brothers and sisters are here. There's this huge crowd rallied around them. But I want you to see his response. Look once more at verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren, without seek for thee. Notice how he answered them, Who is my mother or my brethren? And then he looked around about them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, these are my family members. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, keep it all in its context. What is he saying is the will of God in the context? Doing the will of God in this passage is receiving the person of Jesus Christ for who he says he is, the Messiah, the Son of God. Who the Father had announced and the Holy Spirit had affirmed. Jesus is saying, if you do that, if you do the will of God in receiving the person of Jesus Christ, in putting your trust in who I say that I truly am, then you then will be included in my family. You then will be my brother, my mother, my family. You see, Mary and Joseph, they, they didn't get the family plan into eternity. They didn't say, hey, well, wait a minute, I, I gave birth. No, there, there had to come a time where Mary and Joseph had to put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah. There had to come a time when his siblings, when his brothers and sisters, his, his half-siblings who resented him, and, and we know by Scripture that it wasn't until later that James comes to faith in Christ, but each of them had to come to a place of personal faith in Jesus Christ and I want to remind us all this morning that everyone must come to a place of faith, personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If Mary and Joseph don't get in and his brothers and sisters don't get in, you and I don't get in either. You say, but I was, I was born in America, this Christian nation. Sorry, you have to make a personal choice. But you don't know my grandfather and you don't know my father who were great preachers and great Christians. And hey, I, I was born into a Christian heritage. I've talked to people many times and they've said, I, I was born a Christian. No, friend, you weren't born a Christian. According to the word of God, you were born a sinner. And you have to come to a place of personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jews will not go to heaven just because they are Jews. God's people. They have to come to a place of putting their faith in him. They all have to make a decision. Is Jesus a lunatic? Is he just this crazy man? Is he a liar? Not who he says he really is? Or is he Lord? A good teacher, a good moral leader is not an option. You either receive him for who he says he is or you reject him. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. According to the scriptures, there is no other way. Neither is there salvation in any other. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He's the only way. The evidence is in. 
Jesus was virgin born. He lived a sinless life. He had power over the physical world. He could tell the winds and waves to stop and they would stop. He he had power over the spiritual world. He could cast out demons. He had power over life. He could raise people from the dead. And he had power over the grave himself because he rose himself from the grave. Clearly, Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you think your sins are so many that you must have committed the unpardonable sin. You must have committed the unforgivable sin. I love Paul's testimony in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to this closely and we'll close. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Notice, he describes who he was before this who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And that ought to make all of us want to shout. His grace is abundant. His grace is greater than our sin. His mercy is more than our sin. And then I love what he says in verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. Listen, if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you this morning to himself, I don't care what you've said about the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you've said about God. If you're here this morning and he is drawing you to himself and and there's something in you that wants to to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I want to tell you today, he will save you today. He will save you today. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was... A persecutor. Jesus today stands ready to pardon you. He is the pardon. He has paid the price. I I read this tragic story as I was studying this of a man who had committed many crimes. He was a serial murderer. He was placed in prison. He was doomed for the electric chair. But his brother was a very powerful man. He was a very wealthy man. He had made many donations to the governor's campaign. And so he goes to the governor on behalf of his brother and the governor writes for him a pardon. But instead of going to the authorities, he says, before I do that, I want to go and really, first of all, Dr. Clark, I want to see the heart of my brother. So he goes into his brother and he says, brother, if for some reason today you could be free, If for some reason today that you could have a pardon, what would you do? And his brother said, I would kill every witness against me. I would make sure that the the prosecutor was dead before I went to bed tonight. So his brother, with a pardon in his pocket from the governor, turned and he walked away. He walked out. And I think about this, how many people there are who have the, event, the, the, the opportunity of a pardon before you, even today. Jesus is, is ready to pardon you. He's ready to save you. Today is the day of salvation. You say, what must I do? You, you must repent and you must believe Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
Here is great news today. Listen, John 6, 37. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Him that cometh to me in repentance and faith, I will in no wise cast out. Cast out and listen. The most important decision. This is an unusual message. It just, this is where we are. We go through the Bible verse by verse, and this is where the Lord brought us this morning. It's an evangelistic message. This is where we are today. Every person must make a choice, every person must make a decision. You will stand before God and you will give an account for your decision. Is he a lunatic? Was he a, was he a madman? Was he a bad man or was he who he said he was, the God man, the son of God? Let's bow our heads this morning. As Matt comes and just Matt will just play for us this morning. No one's looking this morning, but God has brought you here on this specific day to hear this message for some reason. Maybe you're here this morning and there's never been a time where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen very carefully to this, one of the greatest promises in Scripture. Paul writes in Romans 10 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you will, if you will say with your mouth, I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I just want to pray for you this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. But I do want to pray for you. Because there's no greater decision that you will ever make than this one. Maybe you would say I'm not sure that that, that I am what you call saved. I'm not sure there's ever been a time when I have confessed him with my mouth, believed in my heart that he was who he said he he was. But I do know this. I don't want to die and spend eternity in hell separated from God for eternity. And this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is working in my heart. Something is going on in me. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand? That's you this morning. I won't embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Anyone? I want to encourage you, if there's anyone here or there's anyone watching, if you're watching, please call us. Please comment there and let us know that you want to know for sure of your eternal destiny. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I beg of you not to leave here this morning without coming and talking to one of us. We'd be glad to take the word of God and show you how you can know that you have eternal life. Christian, how many of you God spoke into your heart this morning? Perhaps the misunderstandings that have come to you have caused you to back off in your faith because of what people may think of you. And this morning, your heart has been encouraged to know that Jesus went through the same things. Would you raise your hand? That's me as a Christian. Would you pray for me? Father, as we close our time this morning, I pray, God, that your spirit would continue to do his work. We pray that if there is someone here today that does not know you, that in the moments, in the minutes ahead, even before they leave here, that they'll talk to somebody. 
I pray, Lord, that they will come to a place of faith in you. I pray for us as believers. God, help us to stand with you and for you. It was in Matthew's account of this that he says, he that is not for me is against me. God, help it to be very clear that we are for you. And Lord, even if there's a misunderstanding, help us to be faithful. Thank you for the truth that we sang about this morning, that we can trust in you and you alone. And we ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.